Our scripture passage this morning comes from Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to the words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, 
and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over, the, over and came to Joshua the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, pray together get started. Father God, we're so grateful to be here this morning in your presence, Lord, as we've sung and prayed, as we've heard your word read, Lord, I pray it would speak to us, Lord, that what would remain after this message is your word and the movement of your spirit, and I pray it in Christ's name, amen. Well, my name is Nathan, and uh, my family is a part of CRC. So Mary Margaret and our four kids, and uh, we're so thankful for Christ Redeemer Church. We're also just thankful for the leadership of Christ Redeemer and what that means to our family and our spiritual growth. I serve at 25 Project as the Director of Mobilization, and we're a gospel partner of Christ Redeemer, and that is a privilege for us. Um, I want to specifically thank you for those who participated just this past June in our Blue Barrel campaign. We shipped barrels by ship over the seas to West Africa. Sierra Leone is the country. And every child that we serve in Sierra Leone is going to receive a new backpack and school supplies. That's a big deal for the kids we serve who don't often have a backpack, pretty much would never have school supplies and ultimately don't even get to go to school in many cases. But through 25 Project, we're excited and thankful that over the last 10 years, God has been very gracious to help us grow from just about 20 children in Sierra Leone to four different countries, India, West Africa, Sierra Leone, South Africa, and the Dominican Republic. Now, on our ministry, you'll see South Asia. We also work here in Melissa at Melissa Community Outreach, which is a food pantry for local families that have needs, food needs, and uh, that's a part of our ministry as well. And 25 Project, just to kind of give you that picture, comes from Matthew chapter 25, and our mission is to transform the lives of vulnerable children, and that's through Jesus. We believe every child deserves a home, and we enable individuals to provide for a child's physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. So I have a question for you. Have you ever been lost? Do you use a map to get to places? Some of you probably remember when maps were actually paper, and you might remember the big ones, the Mapscos, where you would flip through the pages, and I remember as a child, it was a privilege to get the maps go and to get to highlight it and mark the roads and all of that. And of course, nowadays, my four kids, I just spoke a foreign language to them. Uh, nowadays, we use phone maps. We have live maps with accurate mapping detail. And we have GPS tracking so that no matter where we are, 
We know exactly where we are on the map. So with a map like that, how could anything ever go wrong? Well, the reason I say that is that our family likes to take trips, and most of these trips, if I get to pick, are hiking trips. Now, some of you are probably saying, that's not the kind of trip I want to take, hiking trip. Well, we love those trips. Well, at least Dad loves new places and new hiking trails, places we've never been to, of course, and we always need directions and a map. I am in charge of that. But my children have a good question. They like to say, Dad, is this a trail to nowhere? Is that where we're headed, to the middle of nowhere? Because they're looking around and seeing where we're headed. Well, one time we were doing a new trail and it all started really good, except we really couldn't find a good parking area. So eventually we did find a place to park, but we had to kind of like cross the road to get over to the trail. And we ended up heading uphill in what seemed to be the right way. There was a beautiful creek coming down and we're heading up and all seemed to be really fine until we ended up in a apartment complex. <laughs> so that probably was one of those trips that was a trail to nowhere. Well, the reason I bring this up is because in the story of Joshua chapter two, we are going to see several things that point us to the right direction and reveal the meaning the writer intends. My prayer is that this sermon encourages and challenges you and me in the word as we study it, and that we see the might, majesty, and the mercy of God. So Joshua chapter 2 is preceded by chapter 1, and to give us the context, we see in verse 1 of chapter 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, well, in chapter 1, it ties us to the preceding chapter, Deuteronomy 34. My, Moses has died at the age of 120. And not only that, but he was not to enter the promised land. But Moses was the one whom, quote, Deuteronomy 34.10, whom knew the Lord face to face. Moses was incomparable to anyone. In verse 11 of Deuteronomy 34, it says, None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt. Moses' stature was impressive, quite impressive, yet his death would not cripple the nation. Make no mistake, 11 times in chapter 1 of Joshua, we see Moses mentioned. But God is actually the main character of what is to come. You can dare... You can imagine the dismay of Israel at this point. But as one scholar notes, quote, Yahweh's faithfulness does not hinge on the achievement of men, however gifted they may be, nor does it evaporate in the face of funerals. Moses may die, but the promise, the promise lives on. This is the post-passing of Moses' era, Yet the endurance, the endurance of his promise. As Calvin says, quote, This suggests a very useful reflection that while the men are cut off by death and fail in the middle of their career, the faithfulness of God never fails, end quote. So now we arrive at chapter 2 and we read, 
Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. Now, this signals a new section in the book of Joshua. Only ten times in the book is the full name of Joshua used, of 138, and five of those delineate sections. And so we see as we read, They went and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. When she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. When the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up on the roof and hid them in the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them all the way to the Jordan, as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. This story comprises a spy story with some drama and tension. Aside from Joshua, Rahab is the only one named in the story in verse 1. It is as if the writer is hiding the name intentionally. Only in chapter 6 of Joshua do we discover these were young men. Joshua's commission of the spies in verse 1 and their report back to Joshua in verse 22 through 24 at the end are bookends of a lengthy dialogue that dominates this story. So, the king's men talk in verse 3 through 7, and then Rahab talks with the spies in verses 8 through 21. Clearly, the dialogue dominates the passage and gives us a hint, and the emphasis of the writer is in verses 8 through 21. These verses are not only central to the narrative, but reveal a chiastic, chiastic structure to the verses we will talk about when we get there. So, we see the repetition used three times, a repetition used three times in these first seven verses. The first repetition is the phrase, search out the land. If you look at verses three and four, this helps us understand the missions of the spies was known to the enemies at the highest levels. The spies were at great risk. Rahab hides the spies and redirects the king's men, the spies who are, are secretly to go and view the land. But they end up in stalks of flax. The spies sought secrecy, but they end up having the king's men hot on their trail. Being hidden under flax is hardly a good vantage point for anything. The second repetition is that Rahab had hidden them in verses 4 and 6. We see the emphasis on Rahab's loyalty to the spies in Israel. The tension builds as the king's men are getting closer and closer to discovering the spies. We will soon learn why this Canaanite had risked her life to protect two total strangers. This was, the tr this was treason against Jericho and its king 
to aid these men. So why did she risk her life? She was very aware of the emerging reality for her and all the people of Jericho to come. Rahab points the king's men in another direction towards the river. The spies are not caught, but are hidden by Rahab. The third repetition we see in verses 1 through 7 is in verse 5 and 7. The gate was closed. There was no way out of Jericho for the spies. They were dependent on her for their protection, and Rahab's role in the story is very important. Now, starting verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. Now, then please swear to me that the Lord, swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So first, we see Rahab going to the most secret part of her home to speak to the spies in verse 8. This was a place where she could speak to them without unwanted listeners. She's going to reveal her motivation for helping them Rahab is going to reveal her secret motivation in helping the spies is apparently a secret, an apparently secret part of her home on the roof. Not only had the people of Jericho heard of the Israelites' powerful God, but notice in verse 9, everyone, all the inhabitants of the land had heard. Later we see this confirmed in chapter 9 of Joshua with the Gibeonites. Now, Rahab had heard about the mighty acts of God we see in verse 10. This was the basis of her faith. There was evidence of the power of the Israelites' God. Rahab's faith was based on her knowledge of Yahweh and his deeds. Yahweh had redeemed his people from destruction, and she had heard about it. Her faith had grown by hearing the story of what God had done for his people. Rahab had been impacted by God's deeds, and her confession here is that only the Israelite God controls the destiny of the people of the land. Now, here is where we see a chiastic structure appear in verse 10. In the center, the repetition of phrases is before and after. This concentrates the emphasis on the confession that Rahab makes. It's a sequence of elements, and then it's repeated in reverse order. 
So look at verse 10. For we have heard. And then look at verse 11. And, so, and as soon as we heard it. Go back to verse 9. That all the inhabitants of the land will melt away before you. Verse 11. Our hearts melted. Verse 9. That the fear of you has fallen upon us. Verse 11. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. And back in verse 9. The Lord has given you the land. But notice in verse 11. The Lord, Yahweh, your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. Verse 10 reveals that we see the might of the Lord. The Lord who dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted much destruction. He is the one who departs the seas, who conquers enemies, fulfills his promises to his people. Who is this God of the Israelites? He is the Lord, strong and mighty. Now, it's striking that a foreigner not only affirms that her own land was to be given to the Israelites, but she remarks that he is the God, quote, of the heavens above and the earth beneath in verse 11. Think about it. She's a Canaanite in Jericho saying this. The Israelites had done some impressive things for, uh, here for her, his people, and she was talking about this God having dominion, dominion over heaven and earth. We are seeing not only the might, but also the majesty of the Lord here. This would cover the domains of all the gods of the Canaanites that they worshipped. They had many gods, Baal, Asherah, and others whom they worshipped at temples and altars all over the land. We see this back in Exodus chapter 23 and 34, in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and 12, and more passages. Rahab here had given up her religious traditions and affirmed the God of Israel who ruled over the very heavens and the earth. As one commentator writes, she affirmed his sovereign power and right to exercise it through the whole universe, end quote. Second, in verse 11, Rahab is saying that Yahweh, the words used here in the Hebrew, he is God. She is using the personal name in verse 11. Yahweh is saying that Baal and Asherah, they're not true gods. Yahweh, your God, He, He is the true God. And this echoes similar language of the Bible back in Deuteronomy 4.35 and Deuteronomy 10.17 that describe Yahweh's sovereignty. And in Deuteronomy 7.9, we just see the same phrase describing His character. So third, in connecting verse 11, we find that the phrase, the heavens above and the earth beneath, is found only three times prior in Joshua chapter 2. In Exodus 20 verse 4, Deuteronomy 5, 8, and Deuteronomy 4, 39. So let me read these three verses to you. Exodus 24 verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above 
or the earth beneath, or in the waters below. Deuteronomy 5.8, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. Deuteronomy 4.39, acknowledge and take heart this day that the Lord God is in heaven above and the earth below. There is no other. When we read these words coming out of Rahab's mouth, there is far more going on in this story than simply saving her neck. She realized that this God she heard about was the only true God, Yahweh. Greater than any God she had known before, this God was Yahweh who is worthy of worship and allegiance. She may have feared the king's men, but her hope was now found in the God of the Israelites. As one commentator, Dale Ralph Davis, states, she holds the utter supremacy of Yahweh. She seems to assume that he is the only God functioning in heaven and upon earth, end quote. Now we get to verse 12. And now swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my, me and my father's house. Because of the kindness Rahab showed the spies, she asked them to take an oath of protection for her and her household in verse 12. Oaths were a serious practice. We see this illustrated later in Joshua chapter 9 again with the Gimeonites. She hopes to get an oath since Yahweh has given the land to Israel. Unlike the Canaanites, she hopes to survive the days ahead. Again, Dale Reif Davis says, genuine faith never rests content in being convinced of the reality of God, but presses on to take refuge in God. Rahab not only must know the clear truth about God, but also must escape the coming wrath. Saving faith never stops without brooding over the nature or the activity of God but it always runs to take refuge under his wings. Rahab not only trembles before the terror of God, but also senses that there might be mercy in this fearful God. What but the touch of Yahweh's hand could have created such faith in the heart of a pagan harlot. Verse 14, we see our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives, you the, gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. The words in verse 14 said back to Rahab are an exact echo of the words she had used to request this, to the spies. The spies' lives were the sure sign, the sure sign that it, Rahab had asked for. Then we get to verse 15. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills where the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. And then afterwards, you may go on your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours and you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in a window through which you let us down, 
and you will gather into the house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then, if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless. With respect to your oath that you have made, a swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she went to them, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Rahab helps the spies overcome two barriers that are in the way of their safety. In verse 16, first, the shut gate. And second, the men guarding the river. Rahab overcomes the first by letting the man down through a window in her house, which is attached to the wall. The second obstacle is overcome by telling the spies to hide on the hills for three days until the threat of being found is gone. At this point, the spies swear their oath to Rahab in verse 17, and they make their response to her. She has given all the help they can, she can, and they give her their response. Three parts make up their guarantee and for protection. First, a scarlet cord is tied to the window in verse 18. Second, in verse 18 and 19, she must bring everyone she wants to protect into her house. And third, verse 20, she must keep the spies secret so they are not discovered and able to escape. The spies are completely relying on Rahab for their lives as well as the report back to Joshua. Eventually, she will be relying on the spies for her own well-being when the Israelites enter the land. Now, in verse 22, it says, They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers had returned, and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. They told him all that had happened to them, and they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into your hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Dramatically, the chapter ends with the spies excitedly sharing their findings with Joshua, quoting, of all people, Rahab. So, we see in the flow of Josh, the Joshua narrative that chapter 2 is really not expected in telling the story of Israel's entrance to the land. We could easily see chapters 3 and 4 following directly after chapter 1. Of course, we do have chapter 6, verses 17 and 22 through 25, but those verses being omitted would not really distur- disturb the flow of chapter 6. It's as if the writer deliberately turns the story to Rahab in chapter 2 for a specific benefit, to help us see the mercy of God, the active way that Rahab identifies the might, the majesty, and the mercy of God is surprising. It's surprising that she is a Canaanite, pagan, harlot, who is welcomed in as an Israelite in chapter 6. Verse 17 of chapter 6 says, Only Rahab the prostitute 
and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. 6 verse 22. But the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house, bring out her, the woman, and all who belong to you, to her as you swore to her. And then in verse 25, but Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. She lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Her family was spared by the Israelites because she hid the spies. Her faith and actions led to her redemption in chapter 6. So here's a question. How is it that a Canaanite pagan harlot is welcomed into Israel? The people of God are not meant to be an exclusive club, but a refuge for sinners and outsiders. Sinners who have been touched by the grace of God. As one commentator writes, Rahab's helpful deeds indicate her renunciation of allegiance to the Canaanites of Jericho and her acceptance of the rulership of Joshua and his agents. Now, yes, Rahab told a lie. We do not want to diminish that from the story. However, we must not miss the truth that we hear from Rahab's confession in verses 8 through 13. That is what the writer is most concerned about by the emphasis and the structure of the passage. We don't see the lie commended, but her faith and actions in helping the spies are rightfully commended. We even see that Rahab's past did not bother the writer of the first gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, it's astounding that the genealogy of Jesus, in it we see the harlot of Jericho. If you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 1 says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. We do see that Rahab exhibits faith in the might and the majesty of God, and an understanding of the mercy of the God who ends up saving her. The commentator Hess writes it this way, for the Christian, Rahab's faith provides a model of one who believes in God's historic acts of redemption. Let me say that again. Rahab's faith provides a model of one who believes in the historic acts of redemption, whether the exodus of the Old Testament or for us the cross of the New Testament. Not only does she believe, but she confirms her faith and then acts upon it to preserve God's people and advance God's kingdom. She becomes a model of faith for all Christians. 
The New Testament constantly stresses the faith of Rahab. If you want to turn there, turn to Hebrews 11, verse 31. Hebrews 11, 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the supplies. And then turn to James 2, verse 25. James 2, 25. And in the same way, was it not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Calvin says it this way, quote, those who hold to what is called a dutiful lie to be altogether excusable do not sufficiently consider the precious truth and how precious truth is in the sight of God. Therefore, although our purpose be to assist our brethren to consult for their safety and relieve them, it's is never lawful to lie, because that cannot be right, which is contrary to the nature of God. And God is truth. And still, and still, the act of Rahab is not devoid of the praise of virtue, although it is not spotlessly pure. For it often happens that while the saints study to hold the right path they deviate into circuitous courses, end quote. So today, we look to Jesus. As a believer, let me remind you the following passage in Hebrews 11.31. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, let us, lay a, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the, at the, right hand of the throne of God. Also, let me read to you Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now Christ Jesus, who you once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So when you worship God, remember who he is. To quote Rahab, the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. He is a God who owns and oversees the whole universe, but works in the lives and births faith in the most unexpected people around us. I pray your eyes are open to see the neighbor 
coworker, family member, stranger. I might even encourage you to pray that God would bring some of those people in your sphere so that you can share about the historic acts of redemption by our great God in His Word. If you're not yet a believer, if you're not yet a believer, I would ask that anyone who has not followed Jesus, that you would open His Word. Let it open your eyes as it did mine. I began to be changed as I read the book of Matthew because a friend gave me a Bible at the age of 13. I'm praying that you, like myself at the age of 14, you would realize that you are a sinner. Believe in Jesus as the one who lived a perfect life, died for our sins, and rose again to overcome sin and death. I would say, look to Jesus. Our story reminds us today that it could be the day of salvation for you. Look to Yahweh. See his might, see his majesty, see his mercy. Look to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. And as we see who you are and what you do on full display, I pray that, Lord, it would change our hearts. Lord, where we need to confess, we would. Where we need to repent, Lord, where we need to believe, Lord, I pray that you would move amongst this people, and God, that you would draw many to yourself, and Lord, that we would have the stories of your work in the lives of people on our lips and be encouraged that Yahweh, he is God. Amen.